You're about to listen to the IC News podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Please don't forget, our show can only succeed with your support. Tell your friends. Share the link around on social media. Leave us a rating and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. And while we have your attention, take a second to hit that subscribe button. That way, you'll get a brand new episode each and every Saturday. If you're enjoying the show enough to want to support it, check out the link to our Patreon page. It's at patreon.com slash I see you stories. For just a pound or so a month, you'll get early access to every episode of the show as soon as it's finished, as well as early access to the Monday stories on the I see you Facebook page. You're listening to I see news, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Boris Johnson announces Operation Moonshot and a plan to bring in mass testing by the end of the year. By promising big and failing to deliver at Christmas, he hopes to treat the whole of the UK the same way he treats his children. Liz Truss announces a historic trade deal with Japan that promises to boost the UK's GDP by 0.07% over 15 years. If 0.07% growth over 15 years is now considered historic, I now feel a lot better about puberty. Following shocking revelations in Bob Woodward's latest book, President Trump insists he only downplayed the pandemic because he didn't want Americans in cities being burned to the ground by anarchist, democrat, terrorist paedophiles to panic. And finally, Art Attack presenter Neil Buchanan denies he is Banksy, but the only way you can know for sure is by panning out to check from 50 feet away. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore and you're listening to another episode of IC News. Here at the network, we only break impartiality rules in a very limited and specific way, which is the several dozen times an episode that we suggest that this current government might just be utterly fucking terrible. Yeah, I said it, Hugh Edwards. Fight me. Later on in this episode, we'll be taking a dizzying trip through the multiverse and catching up with our favourite undercover correspondent. But for now, the biggest story of the week here on Earth Prime has finally been well and truly dragged back to Brexit. We're now on the 127th wave of this national fever that just won't fucking die, and it appears that Boris Johnson has now decided that nothing short of a full amputation of a couple of the UK's member states is enough to save his diseased vision of England. This week, in truly remarkable scenes, Northern Ireland Secretary Brandon Lewis admitted in the Commons that the Conservatives' plans to tinker with the very withdrawal agreement they had negotiated with the EU and then signed off on would very much break international law. With EU trade negotiations now hanging by a thread, and Michael Gove once again posturing like he's in any way an alpha male, as opposed to a sentient condom full of frogspawn, Boris now faces a backbench rebellion and the utter fury of the European Union. To say that the UK government's new approach is a curious negotiating tactic is somewhat of an understatement. Here to argue the toss, and standing firmly on the side of the Conservatives, we now go to our nauseatingly deferential correspondent, Sebastian Forlock, for his take on the story. (laughs) 
Thank you, Sam. And once more, please allow me to express my sincere gratitude for all you do in the name of impartiality. In a world of namby-pamby, no-platforming and cancerous cancel culture, it's nice to know that some of us aren't simply cast out into the night like poor, repressed Lawrence Fox. Conservatives simply must be allowed a voice with which to defend ourselves, and this week I promise you mine will be louder and prouder than ever. Ooh, Daddy, that's nice and tight now, isn't it? (laughs) You wouldn't want me slipping away, would you? (laughs) This week we saw just how far the tyrannical left are willing to go in order to bring down the most ambitious ruler our sceptred isle has ever had. Having gnashed and wailed and clutched at their petticoats just a few short months ago about how terrible Boris Johnson's Brexit withdrawal agreement would turn out to be, they're now apoplectic that he's just had the good grace to extend them an olive branch by agreeing with them. Honestly, you just can't satisfy these Ramonas, and it's about time we stopped trying to. This tiny, insignificant, not at all potentially calamitous or insane decision to breach the very withdrawal agreement Mr Johnson both negotiated and then won an election on the back of is nothing more than a storm in a cup of steaming English And it absolutely is English tea, because we're the ones in charge. Peace in Northern Ireland and respect for the devolved powers of the UK's member nations is simply not what the majority voted for in the referendum. You lost, you Gallic simpletons. Get over it. Honestly, you'd think people who willingly eat haggis and cocannon would have had less of a bee in their sporran at the prospect of being tied to the fabulous food standards the Tories managed to achieve in a trade deal with our American friends. Daddy, that's cold. I'll never understand why you insist on keeping the Vaseline in the fridge. (laughs) I've got a shivery little button now. The wet blankets on the opposition benches will never understand what you can achieve with a good sabre-rattling. Boris is simply making it clear that he will never back down. The gentleman is not for turning, provided you don't count the dozen or so U-turns he's made already. The EU simply must respect our sovereignty, and they should quake in fear at the intellectual heavyweights backing the sort of bold decision-making Boris is now displaying. With a chap like Brandon Lewis in charge of keeping the Good Friday Agreement and peace in Northern Ireland alive, how could we possibly fail? He's one of the sharpest political minds the country has ever produced, and is in absolutely no way a man who needs constant reminding that he can't eat pudding with his forehead. This absolute hysteria is nothing to worry about. It's all part of the plan, you silly children. Mr Johnson knows exactly how to walk the tightrope act. I'm calling it now. I will personally guarantee that the EU will blink first by winning a whole bunch of concessions on fishing rights and state aid at the 11th hour. 
and Boris will be there, having puffed up his chest and boldly stood up to them by threatening to break international law before giving the EU exactly what they want. It's pretty much what he did last time, after all. Remember how the border down the Irish Sea that the European Commission suggested was a great diplomatic victory? Peloton would be fucking creaming themselves if they could achieve that level of spin. There will be no return to a hard border in Ireland, and any speculation otherwise is just poppycock. We've heard from our American friends that such a thing would render a post-Brexit trade deal utterly unworkable. It would have to be a, a catastrophic failure of leadership, a, a display of absolutely malignant incompetence for this obvious gambit to fail so catastrophically. Anyone who thinks this glorious government in any way capable of miscalculating that badly clearly hasn't been paying attention recently. This is just the sort of masterful, four-dimensional chess that Boris is such a pro at. It takes a real genius to lose so miserably and yet emerge at the end of the game having convinced everyone around you that you are somehow the winner. Personally, I can't wait to see it all come to a head before Britain starts the first steps on the golden path of its glorious post-Brexit future. I'm Sebastian Forlock, naked and lashed, spread-eagled to a pommel horse in Dominic Cummings' stables, reporting for IC News. What's that? It's bothersome suns in my eyes. I, oh, oh, daddy, daddy, no, daddy, that, that's absolutely not we agreed. I, I signed off on a Shetland pony. That's, that's a bloody Shire horse. What do you mean you're only breaking the terms of our agreement in a very limited and specific way? This is not on. I, I just can't. Who, who are you kidding? Controversy over the government's decision to season its oven-ready deal by shitting all over it before throwing it directly in the bin started mounting from the moment Brandon Lewis opened his mouth this week. Now, it would be a bold claim to suggest that the late-night announcement of further lockdown measures was a deliberate tactic to distract from the story, so just call me Persil's biggest competitor, because I'm fucking claiming it. In a move that Speaker Lindsay Hoyle got so cross about that he almost risked becoming interesting for a second, Matt Hancock apparently briefed the media about the changes before informing Parliament. The new measures are designed to suppress a virus that once again appears to be spreading among the population. But just what's behind the sudden increase in cases, and what do the new rules actually entail? We gave Tom King the key to the dimensional gate and sent him to find out. The Rule of Six It used to apply to catering at orgies. Six or more people, and it's just polite to provide a finger buffet. Now it means something different, although a lot of people are still very much lining up to get fucked in their hands, face and various spaces. 
This week, Boris Johnson appeared on our evening TV screens once more with his very best serious face on. You know the one. It's halfway between the Dulux dog and an overgrown baby farting. After weeks of umming and ahhing about masks before telling us all to go outside and eat out to help out and to get back to work and to start using public transport to go to the shops without fear, national restrictions are back in! Once again, they were announced at 10 o'clock at night because a national sense of confusion just before bedtime is just what Britain's all about these days. Brits can no longer meet up in any social situation in groups of more than six. Unless, of course, you're in a pub or a licensed venue or you're taking part in organised sport or it's a restaurant or a cash register is within 50 feet of you. God. Why am I even trying to clarify any of this? The messaging has been atrocious for months now, and the public are at their wit's end. Just think of it this way. The new measures are specifically targeted to kill any hope of a full S Club 7 reunion, presumably because 2020 has already suffered enough, and God just doesn't want Paul to be happy. The latest development in the war on COVID-19 is a response to the recent rise in positive cases and the government are making no bones about who they want you to blame for it. Surprise, everyone! It's anyone but them. But mainly the young. Oh, and the irresponsible bastards who keep getting tested without symptoms, even though we've been told over and over again that asymptomatic transmission is a major threat to our vulnerable people. And there is literally a drop-down box on the online booking system that asks you if you have symptoms. And anyone who's ever built a WordPress website could easily program in a function that tells those who click no that they aren't eligible for a test right now. Actually, that's IT work, isn't it? Oh, the government have probably outsourced that job to a jockey they went to school with and it'll end up costing the public 12 million quid to never work properly. This week, failed head boy candidate and definite soggy biscuit eater Matt Hancock went on Newsbeat and he sternly told young people not to kill their grands by passing the virus onto them. It was a bold statement given that many thousands of young people no longer have a grand to kill, all thanks to his dismal performance as health secretary. It all felt a bit like getting sexual health advice from a visibly itchy Darren Day. If you're in the low-risk age group and any of this felt incredibly insulting to you, you are not alone. Whilst it's true that the virus is now primarily circulating among the young, the statistics aren't automatically indicative of an entire generation's apathy towards the situation, and the Tories fucking know it. Yes, we all have to act responsibly, but we're also all getting tasered off of furlough and back into the workplace. Older people with more savings are inevitably taking their own health into consideration and are protecting themselves accordingly. But the young often don't have that sort of fiscal luxury. Most of them are just trying to clear their mounting rent arrears rather than meeting 20 other millennials in a disused post office for a cough-huffing party. If you look at the ONS data by age group, the bracket the government are calling young people covers everybody between the age of 15 and 44. That's hardly the cast of skins. It's more than half the country's fucking workforce! No one's arguing that irresponsibility is helping this crisis one bit. 
The Tories clearly think that they can absolve themselves of all responsibility for their disastrous failure to lead by example. They're doing it by pointing the finger at a generation they've clearly calculated don't vote for them anyway, even though they're the very people they desperately need to resuscitate the economy the government has suffocated. Pitching older generations against the apparently feckless young is a classic right-wing trick, which is why I've travelled the multiverse to explore it to its natural extreme. This is Earth Echo Backwards Logan's Run 19. Here, the government and national press whipped national anxiety about the pandemic to even stiffer peaks than back home on Earth Prime. And much like in our own reality, they pointed the finger of blame firmly at the young. After an absolutely furious avalanche of confusingly racist all-caps-have-your-say comments on every website those over the age of 60 could figure out how to operate, the government acted, and they acted hard. Anyone under the age of 45 was immediately sent to a re-education camp where they all had their smartphones confiscated before being forced to play outside with nothing but a stick and a metal hoop. Under the threat of death, each and every one of them was repeatedly forced to skin their knees at gunpoint. (coughs) Tragically, the older generation here hadn't banked on everything they claimed about the young being true. Having never been told to shut up and eat what they were given by an abusive maternal figure who would beat them with a wooden spoon, every single person in the camps had a weakened immune system. Millions succumbed to infection, dying in agony. The rest tried to rebel against the guards, but lacking even basic DIY skills, their makeshift weapons were no match for the guns of their oppressors. What's left here is a bleak and elderly wilderness where the Daily Mail desperately celebrates the few rare births among those that are still fertile. With a global Viagra shortage and an ever-aging population, those grow rarer by the day. Bizarrely, this withering spectacle of Britain seems almost happy in its death spiral. Many here speak of the comeback of the good old days, despite the cartloads of bodies rotting in the streets. I'm Tom King, and personally, I think it's all YouTube's fault. Reporting for IC News. We're now heading towards the tail end of the show. Most of you are sleepy and not really paying attention anymore, which means it's now the perfect time for a media outlet to admit they fuck right up in the hope that nobody notices. Last week, we talked about the new Director-General of the BBC and his apparent incoming war on left-wing comedy. Turns out that was little more than deliberate spin on the part of the Telegraph, and like a giant set of tits on a big gullible cow, we at the network fell right for it. Tim Davey has since clarified in an interview that he has no plans to cut back on the BBC's satire output and he expects the government in power to face the harshest mockery. He'd just like to see more varied viewpoints in the corporation's comedy output in order to diversify its appeal, and actually that's fair enough. Ironically enough, given their attempt to piss gasoline into the cancel culture bonfire, it was the Telegraph themselves that ended up getting censored last weekend, when climate activists from Extinction Rebellion blockaded several sites housing printing presses for Rupert Murdoch's media empire. The stunt aimed to draw attention to the media's dishonest coverage of climate change, but instead it became a rallying cry for party leaders from across the political spectrum to collectively shit their pants in terror. As they all scrambled to defend the freedom of the tabloid press, 
government briefings appeared to float the idea of branding Extinction Rebellion as an organised crime group in order to better empower the authorities to crack down on their campaign of civil disobedience. Live at the site of the latest Extinction Rebellion protest and deep undercover with the movement, we now go to Danny Sutcliffe. That's right. I'm here and I'm fucking livid. What have I always said to you when we're off air, Sam? What have I always fucking said? Well, to be honest, you tend to ramble on a lot of fronts. The only real consistency is that you tend to finish by asking me if I have any spice before laughing manically when I say no. No, not that, you melt. Although, I must admit, your lack of reliability on that front is a constant source of disappointment to me. I mean about what I hate. What I absolutely fucking hate. What do I always say I hate, Sam? Christ, I don't know. Punctuality? Accuracy? Basic media ethics? No, you soft swat. There are four things in life I hate. Four things. Big government, mainstream media, scouting for girls and hippies. I fucking hate hippies, and now you've thrown me into the lion's den. Except it isn't a den, is it? It's a fucking yurt, and it smells of patchouli, and the lions are pissing vegan. Well, I think that's a pretty lazy characterisation for an entire protest movement, Danny. Besides, you haven't been undercover for ages. I thought you might relish the opportunity. Well, you thought wrong, Sam. This is horrible. And what's more, it's very confusing. I'm a very conflicted man right now. On one hand, the idea of disrupting the constant stream of propaganda spewed out from a tabloid empire owned and controlled by one withered old ballsack gives me the raging horn. On the other hand, white men with dreadlocks make me want a faceplant into a belt sander. It's a fucking conundrum. Right, well, if we can try and put your own prejudices aside for a second. I'm wearing tie-dye, Sam. Fucking tie-dye! I swear to God, if one more cunt tries to start a conversation with me about pomegranate molasses, I'm going to start putting heads through walls. Well, let's get to the point then, which I guess is the debate around freedom of the press and whether or not Extinction Rebellion's latest stunt was an attack on democracy. Oh, please. Look, I don't like any of this lot, but if you think Rupert Murdoch and democracy fit together in a sentence, you must be Jerry Hall, because clearly you see something in that old bastard nobody else can. Like the bulge in his wallet. Well then, I take it you don't agree with the suggestion that Extinction Rebellion might find themselves classed as an organised crime group? Normally, I'd be all for shoving hippies in gulags, but in this case, no. One protest where a bunch of activists basically turned up with a few garden trellises and blocked a couple of roads is hardly a movement characterised by violence or threat of violence. That's your legal definition. What Extinction Rebellion do is disruptive and it's deliberately provocative. Plenty of them care enough about the message to risk getting arrested, but it isn't violent, is it? But where does the government's heavy-handed rhetoric come from, then? Where do you fucking think? Fear, mate. Fear and a fealty to a media empire that could crush them if they wanted to. Why do you think every other party leader also trips over themselves rushing to criticise this protest? There's your free press, mate. No mention of the valid points Extinction Rebellion have made about dishonest media coverage. No mention about the actual violence and upheaval that's a potential consequence of climate change. Not a fucking peep. Your great British democracy is bought and paid for, and there's one Australian holding the receipts. Well, even if that's true, I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with the idea of protests that seek to silence media outlets that don't agree with their worldview. That does seem a little authoritarian. 
Disrupting the print run for one weekend didn't change a fucking thing, mate. Apart from making all the headlines about this protest, which is exactly what Extinction Rebellion wanted. Print media is already so close to death that Jerry Hall could probably bring herself to close her eyes and fantasise about the payout as she fucks it. If you're looking for authoritarians, it's not this bunch of kale crusaders you need to be worrying about. You can't crack heads with a stick of fucking salary. You want to be looking at a government who have zero shame about breaking international law and threatening to criminalise activists who challenge them. Danny, if I didn't know better, I'd think you almost sounded sympathetic to Extinction Rebellion. Oh, get fucked, mate. I can laugh at videos of some twat in a hemp jacket getting dragged off the top of a tube train like the best of them. I just don't want our government to be following Rupert Murdoch's lead quite so fucking obviously. I'd love a free and impartial press. The problem is, we haven't got one. Can I go home now, please? I haven't washed in four days, I want a kebab, and I'm sick of looking at old people's cocks. Yes, Danny, of course you can. Hang on, why are you looking at old people's cocks? Because I'm with Extinction Rebellion, mate. It's what they do. They take acid in the woods, and then they take all their clothes off, and then they do a drum circle, and paint a pentagram on the floor, and then they all massage and fuck each other. Danny, that's categorically not what Extinction Rebellion are all about. No. Well, who the fuck am I with, then? I really don't know. Fucking hell. This is the last time I sign up for a Facebook event I haven't read properly. I'm Danny Sutcliffe, and I'm going home to shower all this goat blood off me bollocks. Reporting for IC News. Danny's report brings us to the end of our scheduled broadcast. I can see how many people are downloading the show, so I know for a fact that you're all enjoying it responsibly in groups of no more than six. Jesus Christ, I'm wasting my life. We leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. The latest lockdown measures are to include the appointment of COVID-secure marshals, and the government now faces the real challenge of figuring out how to make a high-vis brown shirt. 10,000 people complained to Ofcom about Diversity's Black Lives Matter-themed performance on Britain's Got Talent, because highlighting systemic police brutality and institutional racism is somehow infinitely more offensive than being subjected to David Walliams for 90 minutes. Citigroup named Jane Fraser as the first woman to become the chief executive of a major Wall Street bank. Presumably because they'll only have to pay her off with two-thirds of a man's severance package the next time they tank the economy. And finally, industrial action at an Edinburgh Jammy Dodger factory brings biscuit production to a standstill, with the wagon wheels coming off the kit-for-cat negotiations. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye. You've just been listening to the IC News Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to help us spread the word. Only with your support can we reach more people and build a larger audience. Every episode of IC News is written and produced by Sam Gore. Every week we feature guest voices from the UK stand-up circuit. Check out the podcast description to find out who you've been listening to. They're all very funny people, and you should check out their stuff. The IC News main theme is written and performed by Eddie French and the graphic design for the show is by Chunchy.com. Any additional music in the show will always be properly credited in the podcast description, so if you hear something you like, please check that out and support the independent artists who offer their work to shows like ours.